0: XV Planus is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network.
1: In the fall of 2020, I had an experience that would forever change me, and yada, yada, yada. You know what, folks? I've missed this. What do you say we dispense with the theatrics and get right to it? May? Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planets, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown with you. As we open Season 3 tonight, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thank you to all of you who stuck around with us over the winter break. As the show moves forward, you can expect us to be dark January and February each year as we prep the next season. We have to give ourselves this little break in order to build content and map out investigation locations. The amount of planning for said investigations is about the same workload as managing this podcast, which is why we locked into a bi-weekly schedule towards the end of last season, and you can expect us to stick to it moving forward. Now that said, if you're ever clamoring for more content, consider subscribing and supporting us at www.patreon.com slash where you'll get access to our original interview series, Transmissions from the Void, as well as other special episodes and events, and soon, video content, even through the two-month dark period of January and February. We have a very exciting season planned for you all this year. And it'll be coming out in four ways, each of them focused on specific types of paranormal phenomena in our attempts to interact and, hopefully, communicate with them. Or, it, I, whatever you need to roll with. And communication is key, my friends, it is definitely a theme of the season. At this point I'm no longer interested in trying to prove these things we're experiencing to you or anyone else. To be honest, that was never really the point of this anyway. This was all about documenting a journey of speculative curiosity, but now I've seen too much to speculate about it. My curiosity has now evolved into an interest in figuring out how to deeper connect with the very phenomena we encounter. To commune. To figure out how to have a conversation when words might not be the best method of transmitting an idea. And I firmly believe that our own individual consciousnesses are the key to unlocking the Rosetta Stone of the entire spectrum of the paranormal as well as challenge the very nature of reality itself. Now, whether you're speaking about ghosts, UFOs, or cryptids, I am beginning to see that they are all a part of the same phenomenon. But it is we, the individual's personal experience, that allows it to take on a myriad of forms based on what the limits of the consciousness perceiving the interaction has. One of the moments that I had personally experienced back in Season 2 speaks to this theory. When we were all in Waverly Hills Sanatorium and having the stare down with the infamous Creeper, all ten of us admitted to one another that we saw something, but very few of us saw it the same way. So, what's up with that? For that matter, why did the Brown Mountain Lights give us an unusually frenetic illuminated dancing display? Why did the Sally House pull on our empathy and emotions on an individual level? rather than play off of our collective fears and insecurities like it has with countless others. Well folks, I think it has something to do with the caliber of people I've been able to share these adventures with. And this ragtag group that is my investigation family offers unique perspectives that are not bogged down by a concern of creating shock content and keeping the ratings up. We are driven to pursue this because we have experienced it and we know in the very marrow of our bones that it is important to explore it further and to share that with you. So with that in mind, you can expect a little bit of a shift this season, an evolution that will reveal itself in time, and you, dear listeners, get to come along for the ride. You can expect to hear much more on my unified paranormal theory as this season progresses, but don't worry, we're not going to go too far off the edge just yet. We're going to kick things off this year with some good old fashioned XV Planet's haunted history, paired with a review of our two night investigation of an old historic jail located in my hometown of Natchez, Mississippi. A quiet and strange place, which we will discuss further right after this brief message from our colleagues, collaborators, and fellow podcasters over at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network.
2: Hey there, Luxa here, host of Luxa Cult, a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersection of science, magic, art, and philosophy through the lens of chaos, it's occultism for everyone. Luxa Cult features interviews with badass authors, artists, and magicians of all walks and experience levels, as well as audiomantic nonsense, cut-up poetry, bibliomancy breaks, and so much more. Don't miss the special two-part episode where Dave and I talk about his path of druidry and go into some of the botany of the plants represented by the OM alphabet. Also, hear Dave read a guided meditation for the Green Mushroom Project, which is a large-scale group working focused on building connection and regaining ground that you can be a part of. You can hear Luxa call on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in and join us for the ride.
1: Established as a French colony in 1716, the lands that the city of Natchez, Mississippi sit upon were originally inhabited by the Native American Natchez tribe and their ancestors from approximately the 8th century through the French colonial period. Now, regarding the Natchez tribe, you can expect a deep dive into that sometime in the next couple of seasons because they are fascinating. I'm not going to go into it here because we'll derail for at least a half an hour and not even that would do it justice, but trust me, we will definitely get there. After the French lost the Seven Years' War, they ceded Natchez and nearby territories to the Great Britain in the Treaty of Paris in 1763. Spain was not a party to the treaty, and it was their forces who ended up taking over Natchez from British troops. Although Spain had been allied with the American colonists, they were way more interested in advancing their power at the expense of Britain. Once the war was over, they were not too keen on relinquishing that which they had acquired by force. But in 1797, Major Andrew Ellicott of the United States marched to the highest ridge of the young town of Natchez, set up camp, and raised the first American flag claiming Natchez and all former Spanish lands east of the Mississippi up to the 31st parallel for the United States. After the United States acquired this area from the Spanish, the city served as the capital of Mississippi Territory and then the state of Mississippi until Jackson replaced it in 1822 as it was more centrally located to the developing state. The strategic location of Natchez, on a bluff overlooking the Mississippi River, ensured that it would be a pitiful center of trade and commerce, a position that it held for nearly two centuries after its founding. Now, in the mid-19th century, it became a little bit of a hot spot for plantations and trading due to its location as being the southernmost hub of the Natchez Trace. After the American Civil War, Natchez was able to rebuild a thriving economy thanks in part to its very quick surrender to Union forces without a fight in 1862, leaving it relatively intact. Until the mid-1900s, Natchez thrived, until the introduction of the railway systems rendered steamboat transport of people and goods kind of an obsolete method of travel. Since the 1960s, the city has experienced a very slow but constant decrease in population, in spite of it being a southern tourism hotspot. So that's kind of the brief history through one kind of lens. And through another, I can tell you while this Mississippi city is rich in history is very poor in future. It's not a place to grow. And I think there are some more curious reasons for that than just my own apprehension for the area, although you can probably expect a few tangential rants about my own youth in the future, especially regarding Nash's. But we will continue to explore this vortex of oddities that is Natchez together in the coming years. However, there is one other lens to view it through, the kind that has become all-consuming in my life the last few years, and that would be the lens of the paranormal. Now, at this point, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that Natchez was the place that I grew up in, and that was the location that I had my first series of paranormal events. I brushed them off in my youth, but ever since I've come back around to this, uh, a lot of those experiences have been echoing. And I'm hoping we're going to be able to explore some of those in the coming year, as I will definitely be a little bit closer to home. But for tonight, I wanted to take a step back from my own connection with this southern-fried version of Twin Peaks and invite a couple of friends to talk about the diversity of the phenomenon in Natchez. So at this point, I'd like to welcome the two most recent additions to the XV planet's family, Scott McCoy of Natchez Ghost Tour and Michelle Thibault of Ultimate Paranormal. Scott, Michelle, I want to thank you both so much for joining me tonight. Uh, It's been too long since I've seen your smiling faces, ever since I uh, passed through on a whim during this winter. Which, uh, meeting the both of you was kind of an interesting story in itself, and we're going to get to that, because it just kind of snowballed out of nowhere, and it just <laughs> turned into a, a great experience. But thank you both for joining us tonight. Scott, I'm to start with you, since you were kind of the first person that I uh, connected with when I got there in town. Uh, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Natchez Ghost Tour?
2: Sure thing. I am uh, Scott McCoy. Uh, I'm originally from a little town in Louisiana called Pineville, um, if you know where Alexandria, Louisiana is right in the middle of the state, it, it's right across the Red River from there. If you ever drove through there and blinked, you missed it. So
1: <laughs> that is very true. It is, it is a speck <laughs> on the map.
2: <laughs> I've, uh, I've been living in Natchez for uh, a little over four years now, and I've been doing ghost tours in Natchez for a little over three years. Um, and what inspired me to start doing the ghost tours in Natchez were a lot of the uh, walking ghost tours down in New Orleans. Um, I take them every time I go down to new Orleans and always thought they were a lot of fun. And there's a lot of comparisons between Natchez and new Orleans. Like, you know, if new Orleans is the big easy, Natchez is the little easy. And, you know, it's, it's an older establishment by a few years. So, uh, when I got up here, I realized that nobody was really doing a walking ghost tour, you know, similar to the ones in new Orleans. So, you know, I started, started looking into it and started, you know, building from there. And, uh, so that's, what natchez ghost tour what i offer you know it's a walking tour in downtown um and what i like to call the three h's which is uh, history humor and haunted uh, the perfect combination of the three h's you know so um uh, because you know, some people just want to take a ghost tour for the history some people just want to have some drinks and have some fun and some people really want that ghost experience that ghost encounter so i try to do my best to offer a perfect blend of all three of those things so, natchez ghost tour on facebook natchez ghost tour on instagram natchez dot com. fairly easy to find
1: check that yeah out. we'll have links for all of your stuff as well as michelle's on the uh, show notes so anybody who's listening be sure to click on those links at the bottom and go show these amazing people some support now michelle let's talk about you for a moment you're from uh, ultimate paranormal that's that's kind of your your baby project right
0: ultimate paranormal has been a project of mine for a lot of years and so thanks so much for having me on the show it's an honor to be here um, Ultimate Paranormal um, actually it came out of years of ghost hunting experience. Um, I bought a, accidentally a haunted house in 2012, and in learning to cope with that, I ended up being trained and becoming a paranormal investigator, and I've been fortunate enough to be called all over the country to investigate the paranormal, and it's been a privilege to do so. Over time, I realized that there was a real demand for the paranormal, and uh, the spinoff was Ultimate Paranormal Adventures. Uh, we, uh, tailor make, uh, tours, you know, uh, so that people can have their own adventures. And in our, in our travel agency, um, builds itineraries. We don't actually book it. We leave you the freedom to book, uh, and plan your travel at your own pace. Um, uh, but we tailor make itineraries, uh, so that, uh, they are specialized in haunted, historical, and gore tourism, which of course is very, very popular right now. Out of that, I've also written a companion guide, ghost hunting, and easy to read beginner's guide. And then most recently, my project has been um, building, researching and launching my newest project, which is Tales of Murder and Mayhem at Natchez City Cemetery, uh, which focuses on the history of the town. What better place to talk about the history than where all the historical figures are not up at the city cemetery. And I think that's why we're here tonight is to talk a little bit about Natchez's history. So, thanks for
1: having me on. One hundred percent correct. That is why we are here tonight. And uh, as I stated earlier on in the show, I, I you know, you haven't, got, you guys haven't heard it yet, but I briefly went over the history. And I mean, you can just talk about the history of Natchez until you're blue in the face, and not like maybe only cover fifty years because there's a lot to it. So, uh, you know, I encourage anybody who's listening who wants to find out more about the town, don't listen to just my little blurb on it. That was just kind of the basic stick figure structure so that you can understand what we're going to be talking about a little bit further into this conversation, which is the haunted history of Natchez. Now what I find really, really interesting is that I never really knew how rich that place was in uh, hauntings and folklore until years after I had left and then actually took an interest in the paranormal. And now that I'm coming back to the town on a regular basis, I'm seeing it with completely different eyes. And it is... Uh, it's electric. Like, there's just tons of stuff. You throw a rock, you hit something haunted. So that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to have you guys on uh, tonight, because there's obviously a much larger reason that we're going to get to in Episodes 2 and 3 on this series. But I wanted to bring you two on to just kind of have an open discussion about some of our favorite pieces of of the more macabre side of, uh, macabre side of uh, Natchez, Mississippi. <laughs> One place in particular that has always struck an interest with me and and one of the first things that I want to talk about right off the gate is one of the first places that I ever had a paranormal experience at. And this was way, way, way back in the day, which was a Sunday, by the way, uh, at King's Tavern. Now, I experienced this there. Yeah.
0: One of my favorites.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Of course. Of course.
1: <laughs> so this place is fantastic. And not only does it have, like, one great ghost story, it's got two. So if you got the, you've got the story of Madeline of, uh, that uh, Richard King had a, a little bit of a liking for. And apparently his wife was not too fond of this. And she apparently ended up being walled in behind the uh, chimney along with her two murderers, apparently uh which i found to be really interesting now, apparently you can see madeline kind of walking through the uh the building from time to time and occasionally you can see her 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 likeness in the mirror on the second floor bedroom which is something that i experienced now the one that really gets me though is a story about the hart brothers you guys have heard this one right okay yeah
0: oh yeah oh yeah <laughs>
1: Now, for those of you listening who have been with me for a while, you know that I've probably, I think I've talked about this story once or twice, so quick rehash over it. Big Harp and Little Harp were notorious criminals along the Mississippi River, and King's Tavern was known as a stopping point for all walks of life, from politicians to river pirates to the dirtiest of the dirties that everybody went through King's Tavern. Well, Big Harp decides he's going to stay at the tavern one night. Rents himself a room, goes upstairs, go to bed, and the woman who was working the bar had a newborn with her who would not stop crying. Middle of the night, Harp walks down, walks over to the woman and says, Let me see the kid. Thinking that, oh, maybe this big burly man knows a nice way to get my child to be quiet. Harp proceeds to grab the child by the ankle and literally flings it against the wall, cracking its head in the process puts the lifeless body back into the mother's uh, arms and proceeds to go right back upstairs and go to sleep. To this day, you can still hear the cries of the infant echoing through the hallways of King's Tavern. That is another one that I have personally um, witnessed myself.
0: I've witnessed it as well, actually. So it's interesting that you bring that one out because in 2017, I hadn't moved here yet. and I spent a month here in Natchez exploring the paranormal. Um, I had actually taken three months just to travel around the country and explore some paranormal sites. King's Tavern, I had—I didn't even have it on the radar. I mean, the answer was not, but I didn't have King's Tavern on my radar. And I'm at the coffee shop, local coffee shop, one morning, and, and the the general manager for King's Tavern comes in. and He's just dragging, and they're like, coffee? What happened? He's like, oh, the alarms at King's Tavern went off at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had to go and see what was going on and make sure it was locked up. Um, And he proceeds to pull out, and and they point out, you know, here's Michelle, she's a paranormal investigator. He proceeds to pull out footage from King's Cavern. Three o'clock in the morning, all of the alarms are set, the place is shut down, and the little mini fridge under the bar, the door comes flying open. I mean, just, (laughs) wham, flying open. Nothing casual about it at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, how do I investigate? And we went from there. And yeah, it was, it was a great experience to be able to get in there and investigate a little bit on my own.
1: Yeah. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to make that happen sometime in the near future.
2: Absolutely. And and talking about the, the the Hart brothers themselves, I mean the, the pure horror of this story. I mean, they, they were notorious. Um, I can't, I can't even think of a worse word. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not like these guys, were bullies. I mean, they were evil incarnate. They were sociopaths. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And there are so many documented stories, uh, and those are just the ones that we know about from the Hart brothers. Like, who knows what all a- else actually happened? You know, in in the under the hill area. You know, these 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 rough areas. These guys were just the terrors of, or even along the Natchez Trace. You know, mm-hmm. taking tra- picking travelers off the trace and robbing them and leaving them in a the ditch. I mean. There are so many stories that are documented with the Hart brothers, but there are so many. It, it just lends to the fact that there are probably so many that are undocumented. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and that's just one of the ones that we know about from them. So it's it's a very tough read whenever you learn look in the history of the Hart brothers, and just you know, even just the King's Tavern incident, as horrible as it is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, for them. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, NATO's under the hill. Yeah, you you point out Natchez under the Hill. And of course, Natchez under the Hill prior to about 1835 was the toughest port city in the Mm -hmm. entire U.S. That included Seaport. Mm -hmm. It was rough. It was tough. It was a red light district. You didn't want to be there. Um, You you know, it was just not a place for civilized folks. And, um, you know, it it brought in the worst from across the country. And the Hart brothers were known as being the worst of the worst down there. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the Hart brothers—that's one of those stories that, like, if you want to, if you want to know the full scope of their damage, I'm pretty much sure if you just follow the trail of dead bodies that were never solved, you could probably pin a lot of them to them.
2: <laughs> did did uh, it, it, John, in, in your research, did you end up learning about the um, what the what justice uh got served to the Hart brothers, what the city of Natchez
1: finally uh finally did to them? You know, I uh, I did, but I did not write that down. So why don't you share that with us?
2: So uh, the way the way the legend the way the legend goes, and again, this is this is one of those like I this is one of those legends that I really hope is true. Um, that apparently uh, the city of Natchez finally had enough, and uh, so the legend goes that the city rose up. Uh, they took them down first. Uh, they had them hang, then they had them beheaded. And then they actually stuck their heads on pikes uh, outside of town where the Natchez Trace comes in off of, uh, kind of as a warning to people coming in saying, hey, we're not putting up with this anymore. So uh, you better straighten up and fly right. So uh, uh, it seems like there was some Southern justice uh, that got administered to the Hart brothers. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a very short trial, uh, if, if there even was one.
1: So. <laughs> I was about to say that's so metal, but actually that's that's so banjo. That's so banjo. <laughs> <laughs> this is see. This is the stuff that cracks me up. Is is on its surface, you take a, a glimpse of, of Natchez, and it's a it's a it's a town that's really focused on its history. It's really proud of it, and and it loves the fact that it can still hang on to that last dwindling little piece of Southern charm that it has left there. But you you look underneath that surface a little bit, and it's dark. Like this town has a lot of dark history. And uh the Hart Brothers, that's just like a small, tiny little thing. We're we're gonna end up hitting on, on a quite a few of those historical points right now. Or what are some of the other favorite haunted stories or ghost stories that you two have come across during your time in the town?
0: Oh, I think one of my I think one of my favorites is Longwood, of course. Um, and that's because it's such a a beautiful love story and um just love lost. Um and so that's a, uh, that's the story of uh, Julia and Haller Um, is they were a large plantation owners, but Longwood was built for Julia. Haller included a sizable rose garden. It really was, um, a, a love at first sight type thing for them. They were the Romeo and Juliet of all time. And, um, in the process, they, you know, that they, they started constructing right at the beginning of the Civil War of a beautiful 33,000 square foot octagonal home that was never completed mm-hmm. um, because, of course, the Civil War started and, and the people building it were from the North and they dropped their tools and left. Well, Nutt was a huge union supporter. A lot of people here in town were, you know, contrary to popular belief about Mississippi, a lot of union support here in town. And he died during the Civil War. He died in 1864 before the Civil War was over. And Julia was just distressed and heartbroken. And the family was basically destitute. She died in that home. Her daughter, Julia, died in that home. That home is well known for being haunted, Um, but she wouldn't leave that home. I mean, they really have the love story of all time and um, apparitions of both Julia and Howard are regularly seen at the home. Um, Paranormal investigators go in there all the time and and try to investigate it. They leave their equipment running because uh, the, the folks that own the home aren't always fond of having people there unescorted. So they'll set up cameras. They'll set up recorders to leave them overnight to see what they can catch. Um, And always shortly after they leave, everything gets shut off very quietly, and no evidence is captured. Um, And I just, you know, when you get out there and you look at the history, you look at how I mean, he was going to put in almost, almost, oh gosh, you know, hundreds of acres of roses for Julia because he loved her. So very much. I mean, where do you hear about that in the wealthy upper crust South where most of the marriages were arranged? Um, and yet, you know, it, it's the Romeo and Juliet story that we have here in town.
1: Yeah. That's very true. And what you said about the uh, union support in Natchez, Mississippi, that's actually very true. Earlier today, I was just reading that whenever um, whenever the Confeder- Confederacy conceded to the union, it was a bloodless switchover because nobody here at Natchez was like, you know what? OK, no, no, we're good. You can have it. We're we, Don't mess it up. Just don't mess it up.
0: <laughs> well, the fu- really funny part about the town is it's rendered early enough. That's the standing joke in town. Natchez surrendered three times during the Civil War. And I think part of that was because of the river location. You had boats coming down from the north and from Ohio, you know, through the Ohio River Basin non the Mississippi and floating down the river. So they were incredibly well aware of the connections they had to the north and how intertwined the two societies were. Um, Adams County is one of two counties in Mississippi that actually voted not to secede from the Union. Um, and and that's, a, that's a little known fact. I've often heard it said here in Natchez that if, if Natchez could secede from Mississippi and join Louisiana, it would, because it's a lot more Louisiana than Mississippian. Um, it's and, true, right? and I'm not true. sure. It, 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 it is pretty, pretty true. You know, this is this is a, you know, a, a quote unquote liberal haven in a um, conservative state. So, you know, I guess that makes us middle of the road here. But the bottom line, <laughs> they were acutely aware. Now, now, don't get me wrong when Mississippi Ooh, defeated. For liberal the paradise in Mississippi
1: is new.
0: <laughs> and I, I know it's tough to stomach. It's really tough to stomach. I guess that makes us middle of the road. It's not really liberal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Slippery, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a unique story um, in, in the fact that, uh, you know, in areas that were gung-ho. Now, it's a lot of folks still sent their sons to to fight for the Confederacy and die for the Confederacy oh, yeah. uh, when, when Mississippi seceded. But, um, you know, the, this town actually exists in the state that it's been and it has the rich history that it has. And so many of the uh, federal period and antebellum period structures because it seceded. It wasn't bombed. Very few things were lost here in town. It wasn't shelved. Um, parties were thrown for Union soldiers. It stayed Union friendly throughout yeah. the war.
2: Yeah, and it, it was it, and according to legend you know again like the the legend of the stories you know is is it's like it was, was it true it's not i love the tale of you know when the when the union ships were coming down i mean they they laid siege to vicksburg you know which is just north of natchez you know on the river for a while i mean about half of vicksburg roughly you know took took a major hit so they knew what the union was capable of
0: mm-hmm. and
2: whenever they got down here the story is you know that they that they fired just one cannon blast from the river and the natchez is like nope okay we give up that's it white flags everywhere but that also would that goes to show why we have more you know antebellum homes um than you know practically anywhere else um it was a very similar situation as to what happened in uh savannah georgia and yeah. Which is also very interesting because that also lends itself to the haunted history of Natchez as well. Because if if energies and stuff, you know, from spirits and ghosts and people in past lives can attach themselves to things, well, these buildings that have been here for, you know, hundreds of years, they're bound to have that kind of energy. And in addition to Natchez, Mississippi, New Orleans, I mean, Savannah, Georgia is a very big supernatural hub as well. Uh, oh, yeah. There's oh, yes. ghost history. And, so, and, and that's for the same reason. When the Union forces came down, Savannah just welcomed them in, said, hey, do whatever you want. Just don't burn our town down. You know, don't do what you did to Atlanta, you know, to our little town. So, you know, having having that type of an antebellum history really lends itself to the supernatural. You're almost guaranteed to have that type of element to it.
1: I'm Steve. And I'm Jason. And we're the hosts of Grognostics, the podcast.
2: Take a journey down the rabbit hole with us as we investigate some of life's most intriguing mysteries while sampling some of the country's finest craft beers.
1: Some topics would include UFOs. What the heck was that? What? Oh, that spaceship. I got some sound effects for our promo. Pretty sweet, huh? Uh, It's a little annoying, actually. Where was I? Uh, UFOs. Oh, uh, the disappearance of the Roanoke colony. Seriously, Steve? Steve? Foreign accent syndrome, reincarnation, uh, mediums and psychics, nothing. Well, that's better. Cosmic quandaries, hey, sex hey, in the now. ancient I'm world. That okay, that's it. I'm done.
2: You can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcast. That's Grognostics,
1: G-R-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And, you know, pretty much every antebellum home in that entire town has its its own unique ghost story or spirit that haunts it. you know, at at Dunleith, there's the uh, the spirit of the woman who loves to walk the stairs and plays the harp. Witness that one, too. Yeah. I mean, pretty much every single one of them have stories of uh, soldiers in, in Civil War garb walking across uh, properties. and so that seems to be a very, very common occurrence. But Scott, you've been doing the ghost tours in Natchez uh, for a while, like pulling away from the, uh, the antebellum side of things. What are some of the, uh, the other unique stories that you picked up on during your tours?
2: Oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> Without giving too much of the tour away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, yeah. You, no. no. Go, you got go, uh, go to go to the my, tour. One of my favorite <laughs> spots, uh, one of my favorite stories is actually uh, the one that I start, uh, the, where I open the ghost tour, is uh, the Eola Hotel uh, in downtown Natchez. And um, even though it, it, it's it's fairly recent as far as history goes, it was built you know in the 1920s. Uh, And Isidore Levy designed this beautiful, beautiful hotel. It it was the largest building in downtown Natchez. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the only uh, structure that is taller than the Eola is the steeple atop of uh, St. Mary's Basilica. But the Eola Hotel is seven stories tall. No other building in Natchez is that tall. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we go all the way up. So this was a beautiful, beautiful structure back in its day. And it still would be a beautiful structure today it had, you know, had, you know, uh, anyway, <laughs> it's in pretty bad shape right now, right. but I really hope <laughs> we get it up and running again. But, uh, you know, the hotel was named after um, Isidore Levy's daughter, Iola uh, Iola Levy. And she unfortunately, you know, passed away when she was about 16 years old or so. Um, I believe it was one of the yellow fever uh, uh, epidemics. Hmm. But she still lives in the hotel, um, mostly on the seventh floor. But she's been known to visit other floors as well, um, and is always just kind of a you know little girl, kind of running around, you know, down the hallway and stuff like that. And um, you know, people would call the front desk like, "Hey, there's this little girl running around here," in the front desk was say, "Well, you know, that's Iola. Not a lot we can do about her. I mean, she does live here. Her name is on the side of the building, after all. Uh, but for the most part, she seems pretty harmless." But what's staggering to me is that even as recently as a few years ago, um, 2016 is one of the last documented sightings of Iola, And that was whenever the hotel wasn't even open. Uh, people were just in there doing uh, maintenance work and trying to get this renovation done that they never finished. And even in 2016, uh, a couple of painters saw you know, this apparition of Iola. So, you know, almost a, a hundred years later, and we're still getting the exact same apparition, the exact same activity happening in this building. Um, so something is tying Eola there very, very closely, you know, very tight. Um, and it's, again, it's a beautiful building. I would love to have gone inside it whenever, you know, whenever it was open to actually see the, the beauty and the glamour of it. And I really hope that, you know, they can get it up and running again because I'd love to be able to, you know, I'd love to you know, do paranormal investigation there, you know, and see if we can actually make contact with you. Um, and there's, and that's, and the great thing is that's only one story of the Yola hotel. There's also the doctor's story. There's also the Yola's father. I mean, it's this one building that just has a ton of concentrated history only within the years that it was open. It's not like it's an old antebellum home with hundreds of years of history. And no, i no, this thing was only built in the 1920s. Um, so that's one of my favorite spots. I love starting off my tour there because you can get to start, you get, you, you can hit people with three really, really good stories, bam, 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 right off the bat, uh, it's a great way to open the tour, a great way to to start the show, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. That's that's one that I I really do hope that um, you know, there's there's always these discussions of doing renovations and trying to revitalize Natchez. That's one in particular that I really hope that they will make an effort to do because in in its heyday, it it was beautiful. It was it was a wonderful piece of property. And I as you said, I would really love to to get in there and hang out for a couple of nights. Maybe we can have a conversation with uh with young Yola and some of the other spirits that roam that hall.
0: Oh, wouldn't it be fabulous? I mean, cause that was the, that was the summer music town. That was where they have the parties, the dances, the everything, the cafe, that was like the meet and greet for the whole town while it was open.
1: Mm-hmm. It's bizarre for me to see it in the state that it's in right now, because even like way back in the day when I was a, a kid growing up in uh, Natchez and, I still remember, like, the seniors from the schools around town, they would go throw, like, their proms and their homecomings up on that top ballroom. And so as a kid, I just remember looking up at it at night and seeing flashing lights go everywhere. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to get up there one day. Yeah, that never happened. Never happened. I mean, I got into the hotel and I saw, like, uh, you know, the lower parts, but no, I never got to go to the penthouse. I'm a little, a little heartbroken. We're just going to have to fix that, aren't we?
0: Well, don't you worry. Hope springs eternal. And I'll tell you what. Speaking of nightclubs, we have another great nightclub story here in town um, that Scott tells on his tour. We've had one of the worst nightclub fires in U.S. history here in town. That's
1: right. You're talking about the uh, the Prentice Club, right? Oh no,
2: rhythm. No, rhythm. Rhythm.
1: Rhythm. That's right. Yes. Okay. Well, so, so what's the what was the history on that?
2: Oh gosh. Um... <laughs> Well, the the it it was a it was a, a perfect storm of circumstances is what it was. Um, if you know the history and the layout of this building, everything structurally was just designed to go wrong, and it's almost like they didn't realize it at the time. Um, it, it was it was an amazing club. It blues. And jazz, you know, music in its prime. Some great big name bands came through there, but the building itself was all wooden interior. Only one entrance at the front, which was small, and uh, uh, just you know, uh, Spanish moss from the trees over all this wooden structure. Uh, all the windows were boarded up and nailed shut because they didn't want people outside hearing the music. I mean, just. Everything this is, this was long before fire codes were even a thing. In fact, actually uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of fire codes and uh, legislature got started after this tragedy because of this. So they just, they just didn't realize the potential danger for this club. And all it took was one lit cigar just being flicked boom. And the fire breaks out. And of course the fire starts by the front doors. You know, the only way for people to get out is where the fire is. Um, And so, you know, Walter Barnes and the Royal Creolins who are one of the hottest jazz bands in the country are playing that night. The place is packed. I mean, there's around 300 people inside this building, which is just set to go off like a tinderbox, you know, and, and, and it does, I mean, the entire build. it only took about an hour for the entire building just to be gone. I mean, it, it, it is the word tragedy doesn't even bring the full scale of what happened that night. I mean, it was staggeringly devastating for, 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 you know, everyone, everyone in Natchez and, it, you know, it. it and you know Walter Barnes, you know unfortunately you know this, this amazing musician, you know he he you know most of his band passed away in the fire. I think there was only uh, two of them that made it out, I believe, uh, like the drummer and the driver. And then the drummer vowed to never play again. But heck, Walter Barnes was even trying to play music while the fire was raging on, just to try, try to keep people calm. I mean, it's it's really just so many powerful things happening in that in that one moment. You know, people trying to help each other, but it, it was just a recipe for disaster and all it took was one, like I said, one lit cigar being flicked is all it took. So, you know, that's another place. And there's a little, there's a little museum that's there right now. Actually. And that's another place I would love to see about doing uh, an investigation in the future because they still get activity to this day as well. Um, a lot of audio things. Uh, there's a little bit of movement of objects and stuff like that, but, but close to 300 people lost their lives in, in one night, like really within like an hour. And so, you know, that it's, I think it's ranked as like the fourth deadliest fire in U.S. history or or somewhere around there, because there's some debate as to how many people actually passed away, whether or not it's the fourth deadliest, because the official count is listed at about 250 or so, but that's just the ones they could identify. Mm -hmm. There are so many more people in Paris in this fire that they couldn't identify, so they didn't get counted. So I mean, yeah, I mean, they were
0: buried. They, in they were, they were,
2: they, oh yeah, they had to do they had to do mass, you know, some mass graves uh, for people because they just didn't mm-hmm. know who they were. Wow. Um, so as far as tragedies go, that's probably one of the. I mean, it's one of the biggest tragedies in our country's history. Definitely, probably one of the biggest tragedies in, in Natchez history. Yeah, um, but that would be a place I would love to try to maybe do an investigation there uh, to see if we can get any activity or anything uh, in that uh, that location.
1: Put it on the list, brother, because you know I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be pretty close to the area at least for the next few years. So we're we're definitely gonna we're gonna stir some stuff up. That's for sure. Now, Michelle, I want to go back to you for a minute, and um, and let's can we talk about Natchez Cemetery for a minute? Because I know that's near and dear to your heart. It's very much uh, near and dear to mine.
0: Absolutely, I I love the cemetery, and so the cemetery actually dates from 1822, and is ranked as one of the most beautiful and historic cemeteries in the South. Um, But I think part of what makes that cemetery so very interesting is that it didn't start there. Um, Cemetery dated 1822 is when the city bought the initial 10 acres up there alongside an already existing Catholic spot. And while the cemetery has reports of paranormal activity in certain places, I think what's more interesting is why it was started um, and the reports of paranormal activity down here in town. The cemetery here in town, um, where St. Mary's Basilica is actually now, the Basilica had nothing to do with running out the cemetery. It was built much, much later. The cemetery capped out here in town. It was full. They couldn't put any more bodies in there. Now, most towns in a situation like this, they're just going to go ahead and uh, start a new cemetery and leave that one intact, right? And move on, start a new cemetery. There you go. City of Natchez chose to do it a little different. They bought that 10 acres up there on the hill. And then I put out notice to everybody in town and said, "Hey, come get your loved ones and move them at your own expense, right? Um, so you've already paid to bury them. Now you got to come in oh, and you got to wow. pay to dig them up and move them. And oh, by meat. the way, we're oh yeah, we're in the south here, so you know, um, you know, if they haven't been buried a long time, we're talking about wood caskets. Not a lot of people here could buy lead caskets. We're talking about." 1822, where embalming really, really isn't a big thing until the Civil War 40 years later. So can you imagine having to dig up and move these bodies in the hot southern heat that have only been buried a month or two? I'm sure that was just an absolutely charming job. But what that leaves behind is um, what happened to the ones, the people that the city, they, they weren't claimed. We can find nothing in the records that indicates that the city made provisions to move those bodies. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, but we can't find that in the records. And so what remains is Memorial Park. Now, we know that there's two graves there, one of which is a beautiful Revolutionary Soldier grave, a new Revolutionary War soldier, and that's wonderful. We also know that on that land, there's a pit where supposedly the remains of the cemetery were buried out near the street. Now, I'm going to tell you something about that property. If you love ghosts and you love tales, you want to go visit that place. It's beautiful. It's a fountain. But, you know, Scott, I went through there one night with you on one of your tours. You gave me the gift of uh, coming along on one of your wonderful tours. And I'll tell you what. I had some ghost hunting equipment with me. And that place never, ever fails to deliver. Whoever still remains there is chatty. He wants to be known wants to interact with humans um and that is i, I want to get back there and i want to do more investigating there because i want to know exactly who we're talking to that 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 park just has a tremendous history also um i think they temporarily used it again as a temporary burial site again during the civil war and buried civil war soldiers there um for a short period of time until the national cemetery was buried up on the hill so i mean you're why Natchez wouldn't just leave them and then start a new cemetery like most towns? I don't know. That place has quite, quite the history.
1: I would, I'd be very interested in trying to check that one out. Um, I always got a sense of, of like it's potent there, but I never really took the time to try to investigate it or really look into it. So that, yeah, definitely add that one to the list. That, that'd be a nice one to try out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And it's funny whenever I bring tours in there um, just looking at the statistics of tours that I have, there's always been one common denominator of a tours where I've gotten activity, like on my, um, you know, my my little just EMF reader that I bring with me on tours, but always activate it during that uh, section when we're going through Memorial Garden Park. And it, it never fails that if, and I have no idea why this is or how I don't even remember how I'd across it, but if there are more, uh, women on the tour, it tends to get more activity. Um, I have no idea why <laughs> I kind of stumbled across that one night where I was, we were walking through the park and it was a, a tour that was a, a lot of women meeting with the guy. And I, I said something like, you know, I brought, brought a bunch of ladies for you guys tonight. And my EMF readers spiked all the way to the red Almost like a, almost like it was laughing, and I was like, "Oh, wait, you, you like that?" When I bring a bunch of ladies, and it did it again. So <laughs> I just kind of kept on feeding into it like a, a comedian would, like a good new stand-up bit, like, "Oh, the crowd's eating it up, keep it going." So I kept on kind of joking like that, and my meter kept on hitting. <laughs> and it'll eventually, I was like, "Are y'all trying to flirt with my tour group? What's going on here?" <laughs> 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 and, but it was, for some reason. Um, and apparently, uh, they're also big fans of music too. Um, I had a guy on a tour who literally started a whistling Dixie, uh, mm-hmm. and the meters started spiking. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, the, these guys are fans of music." So apparently, they're fans of the ladies and fans of music. So uh, whatever, well, maybe maybe we can use that to our advantage if we ever investigate that place. <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, over the last year and a half, I've like a, t- a lot of the investigations that uh, I've done with, with my core team over here in North Carolina. We've started to implement music as like a standard as part of our investigation practices. Whether we're bringing in an instrument and singing along and trying to rouse them up that way, or we're just playing back a uh, playlist of era specific songs, which I've found really kicks things off. When we did the USS North Carolina, all of our equipment went absolutely bananas when I started playing Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy from Company B. It just went nuts.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And well, so who there's... doesn't
0: love that song? Seriously. Right, of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, make us a Boogie Woogie in your booty. Um, but it was, uh, it's, it's been really interesting to see how things uh, react to other stimuli like that. And that's one of the things that I want to focus on this year is like, I'm no longer Concern about trying to capture evidence that 's no longer the point of this like i 've seen the evidence I know what 's there what i 'm curious about now is how do we start a conversation when words might not necessarily be the best way of conveying an idea so using all of our senses, whether it 's our uh, attraction to music, um, um, listen to that little ringing in your ears there 's a thousand different ways of communication with these things, and I think that 's something that I really want to focus on this year is find more unique and interactive ways to let these energies find a way to quote unquote, talk to us.
0: Absolutely. Um, and trigger objects is a big one. You know, that's, mm. that's absolutely one of my favorite ways of doing things, you know? Um, I mean, and it, it, it sounds silly, but you know, one of my big things is, is, is trying to find ways to make it affordable for people to have an experience. Right. And, You get those little $1 glow in the dark balls and you put them out in the middle of a dark room. If you've got a child spirit, they're, you know, they're probably going to go after that ball and want to roll it around. And I mean, there is nothing like sitting in a dark room, dead silence, nothing going on. The ball's been sitting there for 30 minutes and all of a sudden it starts rolling across the floor and you're like, Oh, here we go. I mean, that's when it gets good. That's why we spend six, seven hours sitting in the dark cold, uncomfortable locations with absolutely not a darn thing happening.
1: Thank you for bringing that up because I, I think that's something that's really important to convey to to my audience, and, and I'm sure they picked up on it at this point if they've been listening to me for, for this long, is what the television shows don't show you is that this is not glamorous, and it's actually none of this whole uh or as I was saying before we hit record, <laughs> come at me, bro. Come at me, ghost. <laughs> This, this whole ghost bro thing, it doesn't work. Real paranormal investigation requires an immense sense of patience and stillness within yourself because 90% of the time it's just you sitting in a room with a couple of other people in dead silence and darkness waiting, just waiting. And sometimes nothing ever happens, but that 10% when it does kick in, that's what makes it all worth it. You know?
0: Absolutely. 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 So, John, one thing I want to bring up here real quick, um, and, and excuse me for barging in, but sure. uh, when you were out here, we took a little bit of time and, and just kind of toured town, um, because I'm a Natusian, I've only been here in Natchez about two two years, um, and, and of course, we're, we choose Natchez, so we're Natusians when we've been here a short period of time, um, and one of the things that I've noticed about this town is that some nights, and you and I've had many discussions on this, some nights, there's just kind of a... Really heavy, dark feel to this town, and you you can drive downtown, and you don't see a glimmer of light coming out of any window in any house at eight fifteen or eight thirty at night. And other nights, you don't feel that. This place has got a really strange energy from time to time.
1: Yes. Yeah. I um. You know, I never really took the time to to look uh, look at it from a geographical standpoint, but I'm wondering if it actually does sit on any, like, ley line crossings or anything like that or odd parallels. No, it's not. I do agree with you. Unfortunately, no. There is, um, there is something truly strange just underneath the surface, and at times it can come off as very, very dark, Um I don't know what it is, but it's it's definitely enough that, that now that I've been pursuing paranormal research for a few years now, coming back and seeing that town with the, that lens, like through that lens, it's um it's a completely different take, and that there is like a shadow that kind of looms over that place. I'm interested in finding out what exactly that is and why.
0: You know, I have I have some theories, and I certainly haven't done an investigation to say anything for certain. Um, but a lot of times I feel in the past with other investigations and in other areas where I've dealt with Native American energy, it can kind of have that very dominant feel. Um, and of course, Natchez's background traces back to the Natchez Indians. We have Emerald Mound, the second largest mound in the entire United States, only 11 miles out in North America, actually, only 11 mm-hmm. miles outside of town. Um, we have the Grand Village of the Natchez Indians, um, which is, uh, was their headquarters right here it's about two miles down the road from my house. Um, and so You're right was, around the corner was, from my
1: mom then that's right. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I look at that and I wonder if that's the energy, um, because I've run into it before. Of course I hearken from, you know, Colorado and we have a lot of native Americans there. And, um, I was, I was well-trained by, um, a, a, a Navajo medicine woman. Um, and was fortunate enough to have that experience. Um, but, uh, uh, I wonder about that energy. Now, I can't say for certain, but I certainly wonder if part of that dominant feel is that or if...
1: I would say that at the root of it all, if I really had to take a guess, that the source of that weight and that shadow is greed. And I think that's... Ah. I really do think that's what it is. I don't know. That's that's just the first thing that pops into my head, but... either way it goes is definitely compels me to come back more on a regular basis to keep investigating and researching. And what is the hidden history of Natchez? Like, what are we missing there? You know,
0: I definitely think there's something. It was funny because I, I, have had some visitors and some of them are very gifted in spiritual arts. And, um, they, they've said the same thing. Great. So it was interesting that you, you brought that up. It definitely, uh, there's definitely a magic here, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure how to read that magic. Uh, definitely brought me here it's definitely brought other people here so it's just a very very interesting
1: place it keeps trying to pull me (laughs) back i mean (laughs) it it really really does and like i'm not going to go into why that's funny right now but you all know what i'm talking about well it it also seems like
2: as a as a place that has a very uh, let's say like an elite social um structure like you know the uh uh, the socialites, you know, and everything of Natchez have always been a thing. There are people who are very, very protective of their social uh, strata, you know, and their place in, in the hierarchy and are willing to go to great lengths to protect that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So that's going back to the greed, not, always, not necessarily even monetarily uh-huh. just uh, protecting your image or, or I guess nowadays would be like protecting your brand. But back then, yeah, protecting your status in the social hierarchy, oh, and it's like you know I mean just walking around looking at the structure of the houses uh, that are here in Natchez um you know, you can see this house was built this year, and they did this you know it's kind of a Victorian, but they did this little thing well, then this one was built two years later, they did the same thing, but they also added a little extra I mean just in the uh you know uh, architecture of the buildings, you can see that everyone was trying to one up their neighbor. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so greed, it's, it's, it's greed. And also just the, the, you know, keeping up with, it wasn't just keeping up with the Joneses. It was, we got to be better than the Joneses. You know? Better greed than, than the Pride. Joneses,
1: yeah. Both of them. Yeah,
2: pride. Uh-huh. Yeah. The greed and pride uh-huh. together. Just. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this town, this town is
0: a, statement in um you know at one point this town had more millionaires per capita than than any other town in the entire united states and the houses really are a statement um especially post um say 1845 i mean before 1845 the homes are you know they're beautiful but there's a restrained elegance to them and Mm. post 1845 you're into the business of showing off And dare i put it that way where it really is the business of showing off where it's like you will bankrupt yourself to build something bigger and better than your neighbor. And it's the, you know, it's the, so um, you, don't miss you the know, for lack of a better term, it's the, look at me, I'm rich, you know, screaming <laughs> it to the world, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that reminds Rick. me, before I head back down there, I'm going to have to go get my uh, my nice white seersucker sucker suit out of the closet. <laughs> I'll
0: tell you what, if you wear that down here, I'm throwing ink on it.
1: I would expect that you would. Yeah, do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. If if, yes. if you
1: ever catch me in anything like that, you have a moral obligation <laughs> to ruin my day. I'm I'm not like no, no. Unless I'm doing it like purely tongue in cheek and you can see like, look at me, I'm an idiot. You know, that's that's fine. If I ever take it seriously, set me on fire if I'm wearing that stuff. So, right, uh, the, hey, if you
2: if you if you wear your seersucker suit, I will get a seersucker kilt and wear it along with you. So yeah.
0: Okay, I'll go in know with they,
2: a hoop Not only if they make them, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll win with it.
1: a hoop skirt. It's the best I can do. <clears>
0: Sorry, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> guys, Scott, Michelle, I want to thank you both so much for hopping on here tonight. We have way, way more uh, haunted history of Natchez to share with everybody over time. But really kind of the point was to uh, get you guys an, an introduction uh, since we'll be hearing a lot from you in the coming months. And also kind of give just a brief overview of how— truly weird that town is.
0: <laughs> yeah. <yes.
1: laughs> Cause this this isn't nothing. Like we we've barely even scratched the surface on, on how truly strange and all the folklore that goes around in that town. Speaking of which, did you all know that the first written account of a Bigfoot sighting was in Natchez, Mississippi? Natchez, Just a Mississippi.
0: little over 300 years ago. Three hundred yep. years. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes indeed. That's one of my favorite stories. And uh um <laughs> we're gonna be talking about that a little bit later this year too. But, guys, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have links to all of y'all's stuff in the show notes, and you can expect to hear from Scott, Michelle, and as well our, our friend Jessica here in the upcoming weeks when we actually get to the other part of this series, which we're going to talk about the two nights the, of the investigation that we did of the old Adams County Jail, courtesy of uh, Scott here. Thank you so much for setting that up. And we'll also briefly talk about the... Uh, comedic series of events that actually led us to getting there because it was just like (laughs) the way everything just fell together. It's, it's a story within itself. So we'll, we'll have a lot of fun talking about that. But guys, yeah, thank you so much for joining. Huh?
0: That's the magic of the town. That's magic of the town. And John, thanks so much for having us on. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're looking forward to having you guys on uh, quite a bit uh, in the near future. And so y'all take it easy. Uh, I will be in touch soon, and we will do part two on this in the very near future.
0: Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
1: I'd like to thank Scott and Michelle for joining me tonight and diving into the dark history of Natchez. You can certainly expect to hear quite a bit more from them and about some of these locations that we spoke about tonight in the upcoming seasons. Later this year, I will be teleporting the Black Lodge somewhere deep in the forests and the swamps of the South. So I will be frequenting my former stomping grounds on the regular, uncovering some mysteries not only about the town, but of myself as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere as XVPlanus, and you can follow my own personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes, as are the links to my guests' respective works as well. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us, and tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the St. Paddy's Day Parade about us. We're a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by sharing us with others who might enjoy taking this trip with us. Word of mouth, friends. You can support us by going to www.patreon.com and subscribing to gain access to our exclusive content, including the Patreon-only series, Transmissions from the Void, where I interview people from all walks of life about their own personal paranormal experiences. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Luxa Cult, Primordia, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and more. You can find them by going to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. The show is produced wherever and whenever it can be, and it's written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. High praise and thanks to Sonny and Ren for our updated logo, and many thanks and mad love to Meg, who manages most of our social media. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. I'll see you in the between. Navumbratio sub Subvelo.